The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you or somebody you know hoard? You aren't alone. Hoarding affects millions of people throughout the world. You can do something about it and regain personal control. Welcome to Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over with host Elaine Birchall. Reduce and relieve yourself from the shame and blame clutter causes in your life. You can do it and we'll show you how. Now here's your host, Elaine Birchall. Hello everyone and welcome back. Whether you're coming back from Melbourne this week, Melbourne, Wollongong, Brisbane, Australia, Singapore, London, New Delhi, Conception Bay South in Newfoundland, Hi Newfoundland, Miami, all up and down the East Coast and the West Coast of Canada and the United States. Welcome. I'm Elaine Birchall, your host and your own personal clutter coach here to help you take back your life when your things are taking over. Also today, to begin to help you understand and manage the piles and perhaps pathways in your life or the life of someone you care about. I am so happy to have this opportunity to be with you on Wednesdays from 10 till 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America's Variety Channel. Today's show is titled, Understanding Hoarding. The Fundamentals, Part 1. Do you know someone who hoards that you care about? You can't decide whether they're hoarding. If it's you, you can't decide whether the situation you're dealing with is hoarding. Today, I want to help you recognize what hoarding disorder is. And if it's present in your life or in a situation that brings you to me today, to help you understand and deal with some of the common, most common underlying reasons that hoarding happens. We aren't certain what causes hoarding. No one can tell you that at this point. But we can say that certain mental and physical health conditions do put a person at increased risk that hoarding disorder will also develop. You need to know about these other conditions in case they are present so that you can develop a plan and get the help you need to deal effectively with the hoarding situation that concerns you. All hoarding is not the same. In upcoming shows, we'll deal with more in-depth how to help yourself or someone else how to decide what things to keep, and what to do with the rest, including the feelings that result from making those decisions. First, let's start with a little quiz. The quiz is called, Are You a Hoarder in the Making? The rating scale is zero, not at all, two, 
mild, four, moderate, six, severe, eight, extreme. Six questions. The first question. Because of the number of possessions you have, how difficult is it to use any of the rooms in your home? Not at all. Mild, moderate, severe, extreme. Second question. How upsetting is it for you to have your home in its current condition? That's how upsetting is it for you. Not at all. Mild, moderate, severe, extreme. Question three. How upsetting or concerning is it for others to have your home in its current condition? Not at all, mild, moderate, severe, extreme. Fourth question, have other people or other agencies tried to intervene, that is to offer you help to tidy up because of the clutter? Not at all, mild, moderate, Severe, extreme. Question five. How difficult or distressing is it for you to get rid of things? That's by discarding, regifting, or recycling. Not at all. Mild, moderate, severe, extreme. Last question. How often have you spent money that you don't really have because you saw something and you just had to have it? Not at all. Mild, moderate, severe, extreme. I'm going to give you a second to tally up the total of that rating scale for each of those six questions. And then I'm going to give you the results. And this will help you figure out where on the continuum of seriousness the situation that brings you to me today is. Okay, you ready? If you scored 0 to 10, you probably have a mild clutter situation in your home. Welcome to the real world. You're just like the rest of us. Things get ahead of us, and then we get on top of them almost right away. If you scored 11 to 20, the clutter in your home is at a moderate level. It's time to have a closer look at why, if it does, keep happening. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But if you scored 21 to 36, the accumulation in your home actually is at or approaching a severe level. This is about more than being messy or too busy to keep up with it, particularly if it happens repeatedly. 
Are you feeling overwhelmed? Every single person who has come to work with me in the last more than 14 years has told me they feel overwhelmed. Do you repeatedly start but get nowhere? Hmm, that probably means it's time to get the help you need. And if you scored 37 to 48, the accumulation in your home is extreme. The people, and perhaps animals, may well be in danger. If you live in an attached housing, your neighbors share your risk. The difficulty for them is they may not know about the risk they're living at, so they don't know to take precautions or preventative measures. Without doubt, it's time to get help. Please make that call now. Now, no matter what you scored, here are some red flags. Even if you scored mild, all right, these are red flags. If you scored above two to questions one, four, or five, so that's one is because of the number of possessions you have, how difficult is it to use any of the homes rooms in your home? Four, have other people or agencies tried to intervene to offer you help to tidy up because of the clutter? Or five, how difficult or distressing is it for you to get rid of things by discarding, regifting, recycling? Assess your situation. Ask for feedback from someone you trust who really knows you. And ask for help accordingly, no matter what you scored. Second red flag. If you answered two, mild, to most questions, keep an eye on your situation. These questions are red flags, every single one of them. Many people who hoard wake up one day and ask themselves, when did this happen? You can become clutter blind and it can get ahead of you. Please don't let that happen. Call for help sooner than later. Third red flag. If you answered four, so moderate or higher, severe or extreme, to questions two, three, or six. So question two is, how upsetting is it for you to have your home in its current condition? Question three, how upsetting or concerning is it for others to have the home in its current condition? And question six, how often have you spent money that you don't really have because you saw something and you just had to have it? If you answered four or higher to any one of those three questions, really make it a priority to ask for feedback from a trusted friend. Again, someone who you feel really knows you but also somebody who can give you the tough answer and you'll at least listen to it. Ask yourself about the reasons it's happening and your ability 
and your readiness to tackle the problem alone. Fourth red flag. If you need to try to tackle the problems yourself, but you're not making progress in a month, call for help. A month becomes a year very easily, sooner than you know it. Fifth and last red flag. If you have tried unsuccessfully numerous times, seek help to manage what may or may already have developed into a more serious problem. Here are some key hoarding messages. This is really important because these three things are absolutely true. Hoarding is found in all cultures, all income and education levels. I checked my website analytics this morning, and just to show you that that is true, I want to read just a few different areas from the world that questions and concerns and hits to my website have come from. And you'll see the culture, probably the income and education levels as well, may differ greatly. San Paulo, Brazil. London, England. Conception Bay South in Newfoundland. Spokane Valley. San Diego, Miami. Melbourne, Wollongong, uh, and Brisbane, Australia, Singapore, New Delhi, Accra, Schwarzenbrück, Germany, Cologne, France, and many, many others. Generally, we are attracted to and we collect things that are part of our culture. So we don't necess- everybody doesn't necessarily collect all the same things. It's still hoarding, though, when they build up. Income. The only thing different from the millionaire who hoards and the person who's on social assistance that hoards is the price tag on the item. Education levels. I have had people with three and four postgraduate degrees I have worked with people who are practicing psychiatrists, successful lawyers, research scientists, and I have worked with people who aren't able to read or do their sums. The second key message is interventions, getting help and working the help, are complicated. They are as complicated as the people who come for help as complicated as the combination of factors that are weighing those people down. They can be costly as well. That's why I'm really encouraging you to ask for help earlier than later. And they can be time-consuming because to clean up because one of the really important factors in helping anyone successfully is working at their pace. And generally, people who are living in hoarding situations are suffering from pretty acute anxiety. Also, 
the third key hoarding message. Because hoarding is a compulsive behavior, most hoarders, in fact, I haven't known any, particularly in the beginning, who wake up one day and say, gee, I think I have enough. And that means they will continue to accumulate, hold on to things until the condition of the property and the individual continue to deteriorate along with the health and safety. And that extends right until the health and safety of the community can also be put at risk in extreme situations. So just before we go to break, I'm going to give you um, a thumbnail sketch of a working definition of hoarding. And then we're going to go back and we're going to look at the actual definition in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders. Three things to think about when you go to break. First, hoarding, this is the working definition now, so the user-friendly definition. Hoarding is what most people would describe as an excessive accumulation and a failure to discard, I like to say proportionately, things, animals, or the combination. There is nothing in that definition that says it has to be chaotic or that it has to be messy or that it has to be dirty. Some hoarding is very well organized. The activities of daily living start to become impaired because the spaces can't be used for their intended purpose. We'll talk about that a little more as later on in the show. The third, distress or impairment in functioning has started to happen to the person themselves who is hoarding or to others. It also means that if your landlord, your mortgage company, your family, your friends knew the truth about the condition of the property, they would have cause to be concerned. And even though you can still live in the environment and you are living in it, you have started to take all kinds of adaptive behaviors. You're climbing over things. You're you have no flat surfaces to to work at. You you generally can't make meals um, on a counter. You have to move things off of your stove in order to make meals if you still cook. So when we come back after the break, let's look at the full definition of hoarding and explore this a little more. I'll see you after the break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm 
firm, and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732-380-7271. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Before the break, we were talking about what a working definition, a user-friendly definition of hoarding is. And we also took a little quiz. How are you feeling about your results? Next, I want to tell you uh, something extremely important, and that is that in May 2013, hoarding became, it was accepted by an international panel of mental health professionals that hoarding disorder would be a disorder in its own right. And that's important because if hoarding disorder interferes with a person's life enough, severely enough, then it can also constitute a disability. Because it can, in some circumstances, constitute a disability, it means that it has certain protections under uh, human rights uh, law. That's not, it's not quite that straightforward, but it's an important factor to know that if somebody has been severely um, disabled by hoarding disorder, um, you need to and you're entitled um, for advice under human rights uh, law. Let's look at the official definition now. And uh, that's when I, do, when I go through this definition with you, I know you're going to understand why I gave you a working definition, but I think it's important to start from really great fact. So this definition is contained in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders, version 5. And it says that something is hoarding if there is a persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions regardless of their actual value. So just because a person has excessive accumulation of things and there are there's a very high price tag on them 
doesn't mean that that's a collection. It could mean, if it meets the other criteria, that it actually is hoarding. I have had clients who have had more than a million dollars worth of unopened shopping channel boxes in their garage. I have had other clients who have had wall-to-wall paintings, nothing on the walls, but back-to-front paintings throughout their whole house. I have had people who collected fine jewelry. Um, I have had people at the other end of the spectrum who collect debris and garbage, who are very successful people and very, very financially well off. The second criteria, this difficulty is due to a perceived need to save the items, first of all, to acquire them, then to save the items and extreme distress associated with discarding them. The third criteria in the official definition is the difficulty discarding possessions results in the accumulation of possessions that congest and clutter active living areas and substantially compromise the use of those spaces for their intended use. If living areas are uncluttered, it is only because of the interventions of third parties. People like myself, for instance. Perhaps a trusted family, an understanding family member, cleaners, or enforcement authorities. The fourth criteria The hoarding causes significant distress or impairment in a number of areas of life, in a person's social life, so they stop inviting people into the home or allowing people even to get beyond the front door, even if someone comes to the the door on an errand. uh, They're not invited in. They're not brought in. Occupational, it interferes with the person's ability to be ready and available for work sometimes. Or other important areas of functioning, including maintaining a safe environment for themselves or others. So at higher risk of accident, for instance, tripping. The hoarding is not attributable to other medical conditions like a brain injury or cerebrovascular disease or Prader-Willi syndrome. The sixth criteria is the hoarding is not better explained by the symptoms of another mental health disorder. Obsessions in obsessive-compulsive disorder Decreased energy and major depressive disorder. Delusions in schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders. Cognitive deficits in major neurocognitive disorder. Restricted interests in autism spectrum disorder. Now, it can happen, hoarding, with excessive accumulation. 
If difficulty discarding possessions is accompanied by excessive acquisition of items that are not needed or for which there is no available space, this can be hoarding disorder. But not everyone who hoards acquires excessively, ironically enough. Some people don't acquire more than the average person. It's just that there's a bottleneck that occurs after the normal acquisition, and we'll explore that in a second. It can happen with good or fair insight, and you know you have good or fair insight in the individual when they recognize that hoarding and the related beliefs and behaviors that pertain to the difficulty discarding items Developing clutter or excessive acquisition when they recognize that those values and beliefs and behaviors are a problem. It can happen with poor insight, and that is when the individual is mostly convinced that hoarding-related beliefs and behaviors, that is, those beliefs and behaviors pertaining to the difficulty discarding items or discarding clutter or discarding excessive acquisitions, are not problematic, despite evidence to the contrary. Sometimes people are living and trying to maneuver through their environment with very narrow pathways. Sometimes there are biodegradables in the home that, are, that attract mice or rats or other infestations. And still, the person can't see that these behaviors and beliefs are problematic. It can happen with absent or delusional beliefs. The individual is completely convinced that hoarding-related beliefs and behaviors, those that are pertaining to difficulty discarding items, clutter, or excessive acquisition, are not problematic at all, despite evidence to the contrary. So between poor insight and absent insight and delusional beliefs, that's really a question of the degree of deterioration in that person's awareness. So, there are two terms that you are going to hear, and they are often used interchangeably, and that is hoarding and cluttering. But there is a difference. Hoarding and cluttering have two distinct differences. One is that clutterers generally can discard things more easily. And the amount of clutter doesn't interfere with the person's life to the same extent. But here is the contradiction. Not everyone who clutters is going to go on to hoard. But every single person that I have worked with over many, many years, every single person, even those that ended up in severe conditions, told me that they started off by cluttering. So what we don't know is whether cluttering can actually be a stage 
in the ongoing development and life cycle of hoarding disorder. If you remember nothing else I've said to you today, remember this. There are two essentials for any level of success. The first is getting the person help for the underlying reasons that they hoard. And those underlying reasons are usually very individual to them. There is no cookie cutter formula for hoarding or ending up in a hoarding situation. And the second essential force any level of success is we do need to clean up the property because the condition of the property will only go on to deteriorate. And it is the after effect, the byproduct that tells us that the hoarding behavior has not been treated successfully. I mentioned earlier that not all hoarding is the same, and it isn't. There are three distinct types of hoarding. You you can hear them uh, referred to by different names. Sometimes you'll hear the first uh, type referred to as common hoarding. I prefer to refer to it as standard hoarding because it meets the standard. You know the definition I went through with you earlier from the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders, version 5, or even the working definition, that three-criteria working definition. Each hoarding situation meets that standard. And that standard hoarding gets broken down into basically three subtypes. The first subtype, sometimes you will hear referred to as generalist. I refer to it as indiscriminate hoarding because there is no difference between valuables, garbage, human waste, a combination of everything, everything imaginable is acquired, is saved, and is not just not discarded. And the hallmark of that is chaos. Piles. Chaos. The second subtype of standard hoarding you may hear referred to as specialists. I refer to it as discriminate hoarding because the person engaged in the behavior discriminates one or a few types of things that have particular attraction value, particular um, attachment um, factors that make it highly, highly desirable and sought after. The difficulty is that even though some of these things may be items that most of us would love to have, there is no off switch. Okay, there is no limit. And so this is not to be confused with collecting. Many people will refer to themselves in this subcategory as collectors. We're going to talk in a subsequent program about what is the difference between discriminate hoarding and collecting. And the third subtype of standard hoarding is combined. People get to a certain point because there is no off switch. 
There is never enough. When the really desirable items get mixed up with the, the, the cans, perhaps, of the food they had that day, the refuse that they didn't throw out, the food peelings in the sink or wherever food is prepared. Um, use Kleenex. Sometimes it deteriorates to everything that they were working on and it all becomes combined. The second type of hoarding is Diogenes syndrome. Now, Diogenes syndrome, we generally find among our senior population, but I don't believe it's restricted um, to our senior population. I believe that in many countries, our seniors are assessed for social programs and entitlement for extra help. And it's often at that time that it's discovered that these individuals have been living in deplorable conditions, sometimes squalor, for a very, very long time. And their physical health, along with their mental health, has deteriorated alarmingly. The third type of hoarding is called animal hoarding. And Dr. Gary Patronick was a guest in one of our earlier shows, and he's going to come back. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about animal hoarding in this show, um, but Dr. Gary Patronick is coming back next week. So um, I'm going to leave some material for he and I to discuss. Now, standard hoarding, remember I said indiscriminate um, discriminate or combined. Anything that can be hoarded is hoarded. Everything imaginable. One of the, f- the key uh, factors in standard hoarding is that it is quite normal for the person's insight and their motivation to fluctuate. At one time, the person or you perhaps can see that it might be a problem. And yet at another time, it's like that insight has vaporized. The same with motivation. Motivation ebbs and flows. So the person makes a plan, but then it just kind of doesn't happen consistently. You know you have indiscriminate hoarding when when you see a chaotic mix of everything. And frequently those things are a mixture of some value or little or no apparent value. You know indiscriminate hoarding because that's what you see on the TV shows. And the TV shows have in some ways given hoarding a bad name because those are the worst of the worst situations. It's hoarding a long time before the conditions you see on that show, those shows. It's hoarding a long time before that. And discriminate hoarding, remember, is saving one or more of specific categories of highly attractive items to the individual and therefore highly valued items. What is the prevalence rate? How frequent is this? These are really conservative just standard hoarding alone, those three subtypes, we're looking safely at 5 to 6% of the general population. 
What's the population in your area? What is 5 to 6% of it? Let's talk more about that after the break. We're going to take a short break now, and I'll see you in a few minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Just before the break, we were talking about the different types of hoarding. Standard hoarding broken down into three subtypes, indiscriminate, discriminate, and combined. And now we're going to talk about the second type of hoarding behavior, Diogenes syndrome. Diogenes syndrome is hallmarked by abject self-neglect and squalor. It's generally found among our senior population, but only because it's discovered then When it's found, these individuals have almost always been living in these conditions for a very long time. And the self-neglect can involve a lack of clothing, poor nutrition, eating dog food, eating food that's rotten. Medical and dental care have been neglected severely. Even when the person can afford it, generally funds are not necessarily an issue for the person. And domestic squalor that makes the residents extremely unhealthy. And that squalor also interferes with that person's ability to find and keep track of medication even when it's essential to their life. Um, and hoarding makes the the uh, 
environment, the residents. Some of these people are living outside, however, because the accommodation, the residence has been taken over by stuff as well as the little visitors that move in when an environment gets built up, becomes extremely unsafe. These statistics that I'm going to quote you are very conservative. And I know that because I am one person in one city with one website going one place at a time, and I cannot go anywhere and mention the word hoarding, that I'm not dealing or talking to somebody who is stuck themselves, is worried about somebody else, or knows of someone. So these prevalence rates are very conservative. I won't be surprised to find that hoarding is actually closer to 10 or 15% of the general population. So just to give you a thumbnail idea of what the prevalence rate for Diogenes syndrome is, the latest uh, statistics are 0.5 per thousand of the general population. And these folks generally live alone. They're quite often, and this certainly has been my experience, above average in intelligence. They are also reclusive. They're suspicious sometimes paranoid, they are obstinate, and they are very isolated from potential sources of support. Oddly enough, men and women are equally at risk. Approximately 40% of those affected also have a significant psychopathology. The bad news is that means that 60% of them have no measurable psychopathology. The bad news there is these folks feel that they are choosing their lifestyle, which makes it extremely difficult to convince them otherwise and intervene successfully to help them. Severe situations often coexist with physical health problems for the reasons that I mentioned. The environment, by the time you find these individuals, they come to your attention and you can offer them help. The environment has deteriorated so severely that they have dermatological uh, breakdown. Um, They're not eating properly. They are often found dehydrated, Um, they're not taking their medications uh, compliantly, Um, many have gone on because of poor nutrition and other health breakdowns to develop diabetes, Uh, diabetes is out of control, and better outcomes can be found by breaking down that isolation and really encouraging these individuals to become involved and connected to day programs or in-home visitors. Every single person hoarding needs the support of a trusting relationship. Individuals with Diogenes syndrome more than most. Poor outcomes 
um, are likely with those individuals who suffer from severe OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, or severe uh, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Poorest outcomes are also found among individuals who have developed paranoia or who have mood disorders or early stage dementia. The third type of hoarding is called animal hoarding. And I'm going to just um, read you the uh, definition of animal hoarding. There are three criteria. There's no magic number that qualifies a situation to be animal hoarding. You do have bylaws in most municipalities, and the expectation is that you respect those limits. Individuals who engage in animal hoarding generally don't respect those limits. So the accumulation of animals has happened to the extent that there's a failure to provide minimal nutrition, minimal sanitation, and minimal veterinary care. There's a failure to act on the deteriorating condition of the animals or the deteriorating condition of the environment. Because of the number of animals, the environment is very, very susceptible to deterioration. There's also a failure to act on or recognize the negative impact of the collection of animals on the person's health and well-being. Now, statistics, some research says, although it is contestable, according to Dr. Patronick, that animal hoarding is estimated in the vicinity of 88 per 100,000 of the general population, and it is among the most difficult to treat. And that study was done by Aruka and Patronick in 2002 and 2001. I'm going to spell that researcher, A-R-L-U-K-E, and Patronick, P-A-T-R-O-N-E-K, in case you're interested in looking up their work. And where animal neglect and abuse are suspected, and children or elderly people live in that residence as well, you should also be assessing and getting help for the children and the seniors who co-reside. Animal hoarding is very, very complicated. There are five psychiatric models of animal hoarding. The first is focal delusional. With an individual who engages in animal hoarding and suffers from focal delusional disorder, their beliefs are inconsistent with reality. There, is, there are very, very, very few people who would see the situation the same way they see it. They insist that the animals are in good condition, despite the contrary. Paranoia is experienced. They experience paranoia regarding offers of help. They have a belief that they have special abilities to relate with animals. Otherwise, the person can appear perfectly normal. The addiction model. Individuals are preoccupied with their addiction, and their addiction is animals. 
They focus on the animals to the point of self-neglect. They're unable to control their impulses to acquire, and they have an addiction to rescue. Third is attachment model. These individuals are likely to have experienced early deprivation or abuse where animals were the one source of unconditional love and acceptance. And they carry that out in adulthood as well. There's a lack of close adult human relationships. Even though other people may be in their life, their primary attachment is to the animals. The animals are their only stable adult relationship. Life is quite often chaotic. And the desire for animals is to satisfy their unmet need for unconditional love and acceptance. The fourth model is obsessive-compulsive model. These individuals have an overwhelming belief that they must be responsible for preventing harm and providing care to animals. They take responsibility for the outcome of others who are irresponsible pet owners. They may legitimize actions by claiming to be a shelter. They may also hoard inanimate things. Quite often they do. The fifth model is zoophilia, and this is where animals are kept as objects of self-gratification, and the animals are the objects of sexual gratification. And this is thought to be a very low incidence rate. Okay. Researchers, researchers indicate that hoarders may have grown up in chaotic homes with inconsistent parenting, where animals were the only source of consistent emotional contact. And there are studies that in Maryland and in San Juan that show that respect and responsibility taught to youngsters in grade school yield more successful um, attitudes and behaviors related to animals. And it also can promote in early life compassion and discourage violence for all species, human and animal, and interestingly enough, for the environment. Second graders were taught humane attitudes, and after one presentation, there were noticeable measures of increase of adopting beliefs that were more humane. And two studies prove that students receiving classroom programs on humane treatment of animals had higher humane attitude scores than those who didn't have the program. Children seem to be more favorably disposed to learning and changing their attitudes toward other living things and transferred that attitude and had more empathy for people as well and better relationships with peers. So, so much of hoarding permeates a person's life to the extent that the person's life becomes um, disabled and focused solely on existing in the hoarded environment. People become, whether you're 
animal hoarder or you're an inanimate hoarder. Okay, people become isolated and what when they become isolated, what really happens is they start to only have their own thoughts and their own beliefs. They lose exposure to other ways of thinking about things. And that causes a continued deterioration in their mental health to the point that by the time they call for help to me or someone else calls on their behalf, there is a lot of work to do. And we try to do it with respect and at the person's pace. This just underscores the importance for reaching out for help when you feel that you're losing control or you feel overwhelmed. Take care, and I hope to see you for our next show. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Elaine Birchall for another edition of Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you declutter your home and your life again next week.